Well, good morning to you. Uh, well, how many is here? 30, 40 people. And uh, definitely uh, one of our low attendance Sundays. And if you look back, uh, when we used to do paper copies, we'd write in the temperature. I think we still do write in the temperatures so that we kind of get like, was everybody mad that week or something? Well, anyway, welcome here. This is my seventh sermon in three days. Uh, we just finished our set free weekend. And I tell you this because I'm hoping to get you so excited to come to our next one when we do it. Um, our set free, I think we had 35 people attend. And so I call that a win during this uh, COVID time. But, but here's the thing I want you to hear, and I'll mention a little later. At the testimony time at the end, after spending Friday night, two services, Saturday, five services, and people spending time in groups, sharing what they're comfortable. By the way, if you're in one of the small groups, you don't share anything you're not comfortable with sharing. But they were sharing and uh, they were spending time repenting. Uh, they were owning their own stuff. More than anything, uh, there was at least two sessions that deal with receiving God's presence, receiving his healing emotionally, and uh, the testimonies at supper last night, I, I don't know, even know if I can describe them. I mean, they just make goosebumps come up on you if you heard them as, as we had person after person share, you know, whether they, they, they were able to forgive somebody and, and release that person and, and just speak with tears in their eyes on how it felt to receive the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit as they were being obedient and doing as God, as they were cleaning their souls up, as they were getting things right with God and with each other. It was powerful. It was unbelievable. I told the first service, one of my fears when I'm so tired is uh, I don't have a real strong filter about what I should say and not say as it is. And, and I don't mean that I'll swear or stuff. I'm not talking about that. But, but I don't have a filter always to understand if I say X, it might offend some people or I say Y. When I'm tired, that filter is less. And I'm now on my seventh sermon. I am told first service I was good. So praise Jesus, uh, but I'm just asking you for a little bit of grace today. In case I offend you, uh, you can let me know later, but uh, uh, I am so glad that you're here. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, for those that are here in person and those that are, on, that are watching online, thank you. Thank you, God, for your church. And we're going to see in a moment that very quickly as we go through 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to see real quickly that this is not my church. This isn't the people sitting in the pews church. This is your church, God. And we need to have that understanding because when it's not our church, it changes our whole attitude and our whole outlook. So, so God, I just pray that as we go through 2 Thessalonians that you, God, would have your way that you, God, would speak your truth, for this is your church. And when we have truth, truth sets us free. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. To understand Second Thessalonians, and that's the book that we're going to be going through in the next couple of weeks, and you might go, well, why did you miss First Thessalonians? Well, We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in the introduction here, what First Thessalonians kind of said about. But this was a really new church plant, a couple years old, three years old probably at best. Uh, so they, they came into Christ with a lot of baggage, as most of us do. And uh, some of the baggage they had was uh, in that area of Thessalonica, 
there, there was kind of these cults and these groups that has kind of doomsday thinking and theology like, you know, the world's coming to an end, the sky is falling kind of stuff. And so when Paul in First Thessalonians taught some, here's a big word for you, eschato, I can't even talk right now, eschato, I'm not even, end time studies, I was saying eschato, why can't I say it? Where's the word? I got to look it up. Oh man, I'm tired. I am so sorry. Anyway, as he was teaching them the, uh, the end time stuff, um, they, they received it because he knew it was a problem. He knew it was an issue in the church and they needed to have a clear understanding of Christ's return. But as we get to 2 Thessalonians, we see that he had to even at that do a, and, and likely 2 Thessalonians was written within a year. And, and so this is an early church, two letters written really quick. The two books are very similar to each other. Uh, they sound a lot the same now. It wasn't like Paul looked on his laptop and said, okay, this is what I wrote to them before because the letter was gone. But he would have remembered quite well and he kind of built upon what he wrote. And First Thessalonians, when you get into chapter 3 and 4, it's probably the most quoted verses about Jesus' second coming and what's going to happen. But he does kind of clarify a few things because because of sort of the roots in the area, there were those, uh, even in First Thessalonians, he, he even makes comments that you need to work to eat. And that's because there was some, the doomsday thinking, Jesus is returning, I gotta sell everything and just stand on a hill and wait for Jesus to come back. By the way, I knew some people in 1998 that did that. Uh, they were so sure Jesus was gonna come back. There was a, no, it was 88. 88 reasons why Christ is gonna return in 1988. And uh, sometimes I think if God had had that plan, he probably changed it just to say, hey man, nobody knows the time or the hour. And in 2 Thessalonians, he actually even clarifies it a little bit. And he helps us to understand it. Um, I have a map to show you. And a couple of maps actually. Yeah, it's not purple. There we go. Now this is modern day Thessalonica. And uh, that red kind of uh, map thing is it. And I gotta get this mic moved. There we go. Now it won't puff so much. Um, that that area there is. You can see where Greece is, and then there's another little peninsula thing poking out there. Thessalonica is a bit of a coastal city, a very important capital city. Uh, even today, it's very important and very big. Uh, you can jump to the next slide. This is this is in the time or the writing of this book 2,000 plus years ago. Up on the top almost, you see Macedonia, and just below that, the middle, there's Thessalonica, and it's right on the coast there. In Macedonia, it was the capital for that whole area, that whole kind of big giant area. So it was, you know, Galatia obviously was much bigger, but uh, it, it is a big, huge, huge area there. And uh, so it was an important city, and like, like most port cities or more, most... Uh, Big cities, like I, I just read Vancouver, by the way, is supposed to be the biggest port in Canada volume-wise. I thought Montreal, Toronto would be, but apparently not. And I can tell you, when you go to Vancouver, it does have a little bit different flavor. One of the flavors that's different is because there's lots of international people there, and I think that's cool. Uh, I love going there. You get to eat all sorts of food from all sorts of countries. You get to meet all sorts of people on the streets, and it's so fun to talk to them all. That's a typical... Uh, Thessalonica kind of city. There was lots of uh, usually port cities and, and things that get a lot of thoroughfare and traveling through of people. Um, they tend to have a little more kind of cutting edge sin stuff going on. So that definitely was a city. 
this city had a, a little more of the cultic stuff that kind of had traveled around. And so keep that kind of root in mind. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, about what the city was like so that we can understand who and why Paul was writing to them. And uh, just, I already said you everything for me. Chuck Swindoll. Now, um, I, I think it's always important to go to people that... Um, your trust and have known for years. Now Chuck is getting really old, but he's still preaching. And uh, he wrote on 2 Thessalonians a little bit. And I just wanted to read you what he said. 2 Thessalonians distinguishes itself by the detailed teaching it presents on the end times. False teachers had been presenting fake letters as if from Paul and telling the Thessalonian believers that the day of the Lord had already come. Remember that kind of end times, weird stuff. This would have been especially troubling to them because Paul had encouraged them in his previous letter that they would be raptured before the day of wrath came upon the earth. So Paul explained to them that this future time of tribulation had not yet come because a certain man of lawlessness had not yet been revealed. Now that's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. And when you compare uh, this passage in 2 Thessalonians to Daniel, Matthew, and Revelation, it seems this man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. And uh, I think what Paul tries to say to Thessalonians is it's not as secret and sneaky as you're making it out to be. That it's going to be really obvious. And he even goes on to say, uh, Chuck Swindoll, he says that uh, the scripture in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about uh, this great restrainer, in other words, something, someone, some force is holding back this man of lawlessness from coming about. And until that restrainer is removed, the man of lawlessness can't raise up. And the Thessalonians seemed to know who this was. Theologians believe it was probably the Holy Spirit that was holding back the man of lawlessness. In other words... When people, and I find it so amazing, whenever there's calamity and catastrophe, all of a sudden out of the woodwork, <coughs> on the internet, on YouTube, pops up all these experts. You know, are they a little bit like what you read in First and Second Thessalonians? I, I think maybe. Uh, they're taking advantage of the times, and you know, I come from the land of Israel, and listen to me, and I got a Bible degree from whatever, 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 and uh, here's how it really plays out. And, and you sit there and go, oh, wow. And, and you know, the person will say, and Jesus is coming this year for sure. Here's why it is. And I, I just want to give you a little warning. Be careful because I, I can tell you that I've watched. And on the left, is this your left? Okay, this is the right. On the right, um, there is a lot of far right stuff that almost all of it I've checked out the source and what they're saying. And I went, oh, come on, guys. You're fudging things a lot. You're making out even words that some people on the left have said. You're really stretching it. Uh, and, and you understand, because I do live in the, in the right quite a bit in my thinking and what I believe. Uh, but I don't like the far extreme people. Be careful. But even, even as much, we need to be concerned. And of course, all of us on the right to go, anybody on the left is evil. And I go, well, the ones that are more center right, some of them are okay. 
but there's definitely some people way over here, oh my goodness, and who they are, and uh, you might even be saying, well, I think that lady's the Antichrist, and maybe so, could be. Has, a, has the great restrainer been removed? I'm not sure. Uh, it, it could become clear, and I think it'll be obvious so you don't have to freak out about it. It'll become really obvious when, when there's this Antichrist rise up and starts to really take control of everything. And, and you're right, it is, it is okay to look and say, okay, these things are happening and that's happening and things are coming into place. Here's something that you need to know, though. Since the time of Jesus, every generation has thought Christ was returning, and I believe that's by God's design. And the scriptures describe that uh, the world is in birth pains. In other words, Christ's gonna return. And if you've ever watched a woman giving birth, which I got that privilege four times with my children, the contraction comes on, is the baby gonna come? No, and it backs off. So this has been going on for 2,000 years, and I believe it's because God wants the church always to be ready. And it's really important that we're ready. So this is kind of some of the backdrop that Paul is writing into, and it's really important for us to understand all that. Over the coming weeks, as I said, we'll add a little bit more of the background and circumstances of the letter. And like most letters, though, this letter starts off with a greeting. And it's a basic hello greeting. Uh, but, it, but it actually, you, you will find in Paul's a greeting, I, I don't think the Apostle Paul carried by the Holy Spirit ever wasted any words. He's already starting to lay the foundation for the letter in the opening sentence. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it says. Now, it sounds like all three of them wrote it. Uh, we think it was probably just Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Paul identifies himself as the writer. In this book, he doesn't other than this text. Uh, most theologians, most historians think it was Paul. There is some debate about that, doesn't matter. We know that it was at least from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then he says these words. To the church of the Thessalonians in God. I, I think he really wants us to understand because there were those that often would come along as great teachers and try to take control of the church. And I think he also wants Pastor Anthony and you in the pew to understand that this church is not my church, it is not your church, it's God's church. How does that make a difference? Well, let's say you're sitting in the pew and you say, I really like pink pews. And you say, my church should have pink pews. And I know lots of people that like pink pews. In fact, I think it's the whole church that would like pink pews. And I think we should rip out all these pews and get new pink ones. That's how my church thinking goes. When we go, this is God's church, we will get on our knees and we'll say, God, what do you think? And even as a church, as a whole body, we often will go to God and say, what do you think? And I would say most of the time, he probably doesn't care what the color of the pews are. Another whole story. But in God is so important. In God, our Father, giving that authority to who's in charge of the church, and the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> I found it kind of interesting because he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit here, so... I have this habit, maybe you're like me, I have these rabbit trails I go on, so I look to see if, if Spirit or Holy Spirit was mentioned in 2 Thessalonians. It's only mentioned once. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
So he does include the third person of the Trinity only once because, and you might go, well, why wouldn't he do this beautiful Trinitarian teaching like he did in other books? Because it wasn't needed for the Second Thessalonians. That wasn't what they needed to have addressed. And right off the top, as we're looking at this letter, moving on into verse 2, we find out that the church really needs to understand I mean, and, and I need to lay this foundation too. Uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul warned them that persecution was coming. In Second Thessalonians, persecution had come. And there was a lot of people really freaked out. You know what? Honestly, when people are angry during COVID, we've had uh, our families kept distance from us. We, we can't even shop the same anymore. Um, some of you have suffered layoffs, financial crisis. Some haven't. Uh, it's kind of all over the map. Uh, honestly, we, we get angry and we want somebody to blame and we want somewhere to point fingers. And, and honestly, I, and we're going to go through this in this letter though. Uh, I think God has done this for the church. Yes, he's done it for the world. And he may not have done it, but he's allowed it. And I think there's a reason behind it because people have been putting their hope. People have been putting their hope in all the wrong things. So chapter, I mean, chapter one, verse two says, grace and peace to you. I find it interesting you put those two words together. From, the, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think you can't have peace without grace. In our set free weekend, the entire weekend is designed to bring people to the grace of Jesus to stop fighting, stop faking it, stop trying to pretend, stop being angry, stop being bitter, and to bring it to the foot of the cross and receive his grace. And then when you get his grace, when you understand his grace, when you receive his grace, his peace floods your soul. The, 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 the well or the fountain that's inside when Jesus said, I, I give you living water, it starts gushing out. And it starts to, I talked to somebody after first service and they said, my business is in the tank. Things haven't gone so bad for me in a long time. But in the last year, I have, my faith has just transformed and changed me. And he said, I'm actually okay with where things are going. So grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really important to understand that grace and peace together. Honestly, what this letter is addressing is there was a lot of fear around at that time. Do you think there's any fear today? Oh my, those over on the right, we're afraid the government's trying to take away all our rights. We're afraid that... We're not even going to be able to visit our relatives. We're afraid that we're going to die alone. Way over on the left, and, and it's a hoax, and it's a hoax, and so we're mad. Way over on the left, we're terrified of death. We're terrified that I'm going to get COVID. My family's going to get COVID. We're, it's, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be awful. And then there's some of us in the middle, and I think I'm mostly in the middle. Uh, we're sitting there going, huh, huh? Like we're looking at everything going, wow, like, man. And so it's important to understand where grace and peace comes from in this time. And this letter is addressing fear because of persecution and the fear stirred up that the end times had come. You know these fake letters? We are in flipped days. And some, I'm gonna be blunt and honest, are out there stirring up stories on the left and the right. And they're stirring up trouble, declaring the end is here. If you pay attention, 
with a lot of these people, and just a little observation of myself, they scare you to death and then they ask for money or they ask for your support or they say, hey, you should come to my church or you should be in my church. And I sit there and go, like, I don't like those kind of manipulative tactics. And with that said, I'm sure I'm guilty of manipulation sometimes too. There are some solid end times teachers out there. And I want to say to you, the ones that are just come bubbling up as so-called experts, stick more to the Chuck Swindolls, the Charles Stanleys, uh, John McCarthy. Like, stick to the guys that you know that are really good and really clear in the scriptures. Be careful of those that come running up and want your wallet. Don't be drawn in to the so-called expert from Israel or an expert you've never heard of. By their fruit, you will know them. And so there's some people in ministry for years and we know their fruit. So just be very careful in these days. But in verse 3, the text goes on. It gets even more interesting and exciting. And verse 3, he talks about their faith that's growing. And I want to point out it doesn't talk about your money and your kingdom and your bank account and your house and your job. That's really great. He doesn't say that, but he talks about we ought to thank, we ought to always to thank God for you. And you've heard me say this before. If you're ever struggling with hearing God's voice, start thanking God for things. It's the first thing Paul does. We thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, and here's why, because your faith is growing more and more. They're in persecution. How does that work? How does that work? I mean, they're under stress, and it's not so good, but we're going to get to that in the end. Why, why their faith is growing, even though, because I look around at the church today, and I go, oh my, something's growing, bitterness, angry, divisions, and I go, oh, where's the faith part? But let's follow it through. So here you are. Life is kind of stalled in our world right now. Some of you are working like crazy, others are not. Your routines have been interrupted. What is one thing that should be growing in you right now? Your faith. Persecution or fear, when we read the scriptures, should grow your faith. Tough times definitely reveal something. And what it reveals is that your faith and hope and beliefs are put in something other than God. Why are you so angry? Why are you so disappointed? Why are you so sad? I mean, we can't deny our feelings. If Paul was to write you a letter today, what positive things may he say to you in this time? The text goes on even more in this verse, and it says, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Whew. Do you see love increasing right now? I think it's happening. I think it gets a little painful and messy first, but eventually the love increases around us. So how do you suppose it happened to them? Listen to this expanded explanation in Romans 5. <coughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, there it is again, we have peace with God. So, so, so that's this grace going on. In fact, he even says that we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Grace and peace, grace and peace. In which we now stand. And we boast, listen to this, in the hope of the glory of God. So where's your hope? Listen to it. It gets better. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know. 
listen to this, suffering produces perseverance. I mean, what do you do with your plants in the spring? You've been growing them inside. We call it toughening them up. We start putting them outside a little bit so they get a little tougher. Suffering produces perseverance, verse 4. Perseverance, character, and here's the last beautiful part, and character, hope. And listen to this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As often happens to me when I'm preparing a sermon like this, I get down rabbit trails. The rabbit trail I got down now, I, I was in um, Turkey for a missionary alliance thing. I got to see some Roman ruins. Uh, I've also been in Iraq, and it was really cool. I got to see a monastery that was built in the second, third century. It's the oldest kind of church thing. But in this town near the monastery, there actually was a temple, a Jewish temple, that was 5,000 years old. I have never, I mean, in Canada, if it's 50 years old, we, like, put flowers there and make a shrine out of it because it's sold. But there, 5,000 years, it was, so, it was humbling. It was so cool to, uh, we had a, a, uh, uh, a Hebrew professor from Israel that was on our trip. Actually, he was from Jordan. And uh, he was trying to read the Hebrew in this temple. Now, the roof was gone, but you could, above the doorways, the Jews have always put some kind of blessing, scripture verse. And the font and the writing was so old, he couldn't even read it. He took pictures of it. He was going to take it back because he, he kind of knew what it said, but he, and it was so cool. So, so I started looking for churches around Thessalonians, Thessalonica, uh, in that whole area, Macedonia, and I found out there, there actually are some really old churches there that are two or three. They've at least found the ruins, and some of them have converted into mosques or whatever, but, but there's some really, really old churches. And, and I tell you all that because Christianity did not die under this persecution, it continued, it thrived, it purified, it got real, and it was unbelievable. I just want to ask you a question. Have you stopped fighting what's happening right now? I, every morning I have to get up and say, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm not going to fight it. And I want to ask you, what stage are you in in those suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Are you to the hope stage yet? I, I don't know if I am. My wife years ago was describing, now you know my wife's story, I've told it a few times. I got her permission this time, by the way. Even had her proofread what I was gonna say. My wife, a few years ago, was describing the lowest moment of her depression when she really, really got bad. And she told me, she said, God tore down my false beliefs down to nothing. And in the ashes, he grew real faith. And I began experiencing his grace in a whole new way. And I can tell you, my wife is tough as nails in her faith. I remember that time, and I remember, like, I was seeing this poor woman. You know, she had a belief system at that point. If you ask her, she'll tell you this. She had this belief system that if I just do everything right, go to church, take care of my kids, love my husband, pray every day, nothing bad will ever happen to me. And I can tell you, we were having financial trouble as a ministry couple. Uh, our church was really struggling because the town was going down in size. 
and she just, just there and in another, she just despaired life. She was so broken. You see, God stripped down all the things that she'd built, her hope and her faith and her future, and, and all she was left with was this little wee seed of faith. And then God began to grow it. And that's where her hope is today. I can tell you that her faith is more real now than ever. She is not shaken easily anymore, and neither should we be. Can I give you a warning? Stop faking it. Stop faking it. Jesus is the only answer for your soul. He's the only place you're going to find that peace that you're trying to get. That cabin at the lake, when I talk like this, God doesn't mind you owning stuff. Honestly, he doesn't. All through scriptures, it's a blessing from him. So God doesn't mind you having, but if that's where your hope, that's where you think you're going to get what you need, uh, it helps. It's external. It's a little bit good there. You need to take holidays. You need to rest. You need to have a Sabbath, all that kind of stuff. But it's faith in him and nothing else that will cause you to thrive despite your circumstances. Final point, verse 4. And in this passage, he then kind of switches gears and he talks about perseverance and faith, lumping these things together. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about... Your perseverance and faith. You know, he always hitches these two things together like horses. There's more strength and power in that. So they have this perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. In one of my churches that I pastored, I had a couple. They were from Quebec, and they grew up in a more rural area. They weren't from any of the big cities. And, uh, man, this is 35 years ago, and he was 60 at times, so he must, I don't even know if he's alive, he's 95 now maybe. And uh, he told me about how his family, super religious community, I won't tell you what religious, you can probably guess, Quebec. His family came to faith in Christ. They, they understood grace. They stopped going to the place that we don't want to run down. When the community found out that they were now Plymouth Brethren, his dad was fired from his job and he could not, he had to actually go to a neighboring town where they didn't know him and get a job. And he said as a little kid in school, when they found out they were Plymouth Brethren now, he said he got beaten up almost every day, spit at, called names. And I was going, are you serious in Canada? And we go, man, we're being persecuted. And I go, well... A few people from some other countries have said, you know, you Canadians are a bunch of wusses. This isn't persecution. Yeah, I I think it may be coming. Well, we know from scriptures it's coming. You know, Paul had warned the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians that persecution would come. And in these opening words, Paul commends them for hanging in there. Yet we know reading further into this book that some in the church had become so upset, even more than 1 Thessalonians, they had become so upset in persecution they began to doubt whether God ever was real or whether Jesus was going to return or maybe he returned and forgot them. They obviously thought being a Christian protected them from harm. So here we were going through set free yesterday. And, and I could see people wrestling it. There was the times when, when sometimes after I gave a talk on something, they, they couldn't go back to their small group and talk about it. 
I, I saw people wrestling. They were hanging on so tight. Can I just tell you, just let it go. Release it. Quit fighting. Receive his grace. Receive his presence. Two weeks ago, and I'll finish with this story. I went out to start my German car. I always like to tease people. The German spittle, it'll start anywhere. I went to start it and he went, rrr, rrr, rrr. Click, 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 click. I was like, oh. I looked, see, did I leave a light on? The truth was at minus 25, it revealed a weakness in my car and batteries, if they're getting old, when it gets cold, it reveals that they're done. Now, what I could have done, I said, okay, well, whatever. I'm gonna keep fighting this. And I could have went and got a battery charger and I could have put the battery charger on the car and uh, it would have started and I might have got away with a few. How do you think it would have been this morning? I had my car outside not plugged in. Last Monday, I went to Costco and I bought a new battery because I knew my car had a weakness. Let me tell you how you get from persecution, fear, despair, <laughs> to loving one another, persevering, having hope, hope in Jesus, that grace, the peace that bubbles up. How do you get from there to here? Number one is during these cold times, and I'm speaking figuratively, but COVID times, it's revealing some things for you. It's a good thing. Uh, it, it's going to show you what you're putting your hope and your faith in. And, and if you have to let some things go, don't let it stress. Things come, things go. Oh, the French have a word for that. Come say, come za, or something. My mother would always say that. And she had a French dad, but I don't think I even say it right. Somebody with French can correct me. But just let it go. Don't, don't stress over it. it. Just let it reveal. You've got a weak battery, maybe. Maybe your faith isn't in what it should be. And God wants your faith to be in him and in Jesus. And again, this isn't a disparaging owning stuff or having a good job and having a bank account, having a retirement. I mean, go for that, do that, but don't let that be in what you are and define you. These tough times reveal what we really put our hope in. Maybe you're being stripped down to nothing so that in the ashes God can build something of faith and value and eternal lasting. So in conclusion, stop faking it, stop fighting it. Take a look and say, okay, I need some fixing in my theology and my Bible understanding and uh, get on your knees. Feed your soul. You know, it's from your soul that that peace, that living water comes. We put our faith and hope in stuff that rust, decays, moths eat. Stop doing that. Feed your soul. Feed your soul. I, I like to think that the guy that was talking to me after the first service was basically testifying. I don't know, and I never got into it long enough. I had to go, but I, I assume that a year ago or so, he started to feed his soul in new ways. He, he began to quit putting his hope and trust in a whole bunch of I know a little bit of his story, and I know he's had a tough go of things, and I think it's been good for him. Oh, do I like going through this chipping off stage, you know, when God is refining? Oh, man, I hate it. But just let God work in you. Let him reveal the weak battery. 
And go get a new one. Go get the real stuff. Go get the Holy Spirit. Let, let grace and peace just feed your soul. Just from the inside out, let God work in you. And spend time in your day doing that. Yesterday, one of the things I said to the people at the Set Free was, if you had lost 80 pounds suddenly and you went to the doctor, the first question the doctor would ask is, are you eating? <laughs> be obvious, right? You'd be going, I must have cancer. I must be... You know, my stomach is eating up all my nutrients. Something bad's going on. But a doctor would ask, are you eating? Because, you know, if you come to me and say, I am so overwhelmed right now. I am, and I think as a pastor, I hope I ask, are you feeding your soul? You need to be fed. And these tough times are maybe revealing to you some stuff that needs to be dealt with. So if you're here in the service or you're watching online, we're going to have a time at the altar at the end. And I hope if you need to, you come down. And I preach these kind of sermons a lot. And I know they irritate some of you. It's like, oh, no, not again. He's telling you, I'm sorry. I care so much for you. I want you to have this kind of, I want this church, I want this town to experience Jesus through you, through me. I want us to love each other so much. I, I want our faith to grow. I want us to have hope in the right things. I, I want people to look at us and go, what's with you? You just lost your house, you just lost your job. And I'm not saying you shouldn't cry for a night. You can't deny the stress you're going through. But in the end, if you have a good, strong battery in Jesus, going to make a difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as somebody might be listening online or somebody watching or just even here at the service and, and, and you, you are like shining a spotlight on them right now and you're going like, man, where are you putting your hope, buddy? Where's your faith? It's revealed that you got a really weak system that's not working. Oh God, let us listen. Let, let's go take action. Let's go to Costco. Well, in this case, let's open our Bibles and let's get the real battery and let's get started. Let's get running. Let's have hope and that hope not disappointing. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. And as I said, the altar is always open and some of you, first service, a number of people came down. And I never know with this uh, cold if we have people to pray the service. I don't know. You might end up just by yourself and God, and maybe you'd like that. But maybe you just need to come down and say, okay, God, I, I think I'm getting revealed some stuff here in this tough time. Things that I'm putting hope in, trust in, peace in, that's just being stripped away. And, and I need to come to you in integrity and honesty and just say, God, would you just touch me and reveal to me? I need a... I need a new battery. I, I need your presence. I need to put my hope in you. So you might need to do that. As always, I always want to encourage you, go to Set Free if we're, when we're doing it. We have Soul Care coming up in April. Uh, we'll have Hearing God in the fall again, possibly another Set Free. And uh, we hope to do an Empowered Ministers one, but you need to go to the Set Free first. There, we have somebody here ready to pray with you. Uh, and I can tell you, these people love praying with you, so please take advantage of that. But we know that First Thessalonians, because I almost say it every Sunday, says this, and now may God himself, the God of peace, may he, you know, this is his initiative, 
He wants to do it in you. May he sanctify you. That's from that's a living waters. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. So I even just talked about your soul, but may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Fellowship and peace.